This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On the Beat and a lot of Georgia football to talk about on the heels of a 41-17 win over the University of Tennessee on Rocky Top. I would say that for Georgia fans, that that, that had to be a pretty satisfying win. I, I don't think it was a slam dunk, everything you would have wanted out of it win, but I think it was pretty satisfying uh, in terms of you know winning by 24 points, uh, slowing the Vols down. Now, obviously, Georgia lost their string of holding opponents to 13 points or under. That was pretty impressive, probably unrealistic to think that they were going to keep that up especially against a good team like Tennessee that has an offense like Tennessee. Uh, And yet at the same time, they give up 10 points in the first quarter. Gave you a little bit of a thrill, a little bit of excitement there, right? A little bit of difference, you know, that you had some, um, I don't know, uh, question about how the game might go for a little bit maybe. Uh, So there was a little bit of drama to it. But then to shut Tennessee down completely from the first quarter until there was like three and a half minutes left, I mean, that's impressive. And Kirby Smart – has built an absolute uh, domineering defense. I mean, that front seven is unbelievable. And we'll talk about that. I know that the the pressing question is still quarterbacks. And it makes sense that that's the pressing question. And I was kind of thinking about it because I've heard from a lot of different people. You know, we see the social media posts. We talk to other people. And I think we can break it down into basically four groups, right? So you've got the group that says, we just want to win. Who cares? We don't care who the quarterback is. We trust Kirby completely, 100%. Doesn't matter what he does. We're going to stand behind Curry, and all we want to do is win. So we don't care who the quarterback is, and we don't even want to talk about it. There is no quarterback controversy. There's that group. Then you've got another group that says, wait a minute, if Tennessee was able to move the ball like that and what happens when we play Alabama and we're worried that we're not going to win a national championship with Stetson Bennett and we think, you know, that that maybe JT should keep playing because we're concerned. So you've kind of got the we're worried we're not the best with J that that Stetson Bennett makes us the best. You got that group. So you got the we just want to win, who cares? And you got the people that say we're not at our best with Stetson Bennett and we're worried about if Stetson can beat Alabama and, you know, what's going on. Then you've got a group that just loves Stetson Bennett. You know what? I like this kid. He's a Georgia kid. He's one of our own. You know, he's he's a, you know, we don't need no kid from California. Uh, Stetson's a good guy. I like him. And I want to see Stetson out there. Then you got the JT Daniels camp that says, man, I can't believe we've got this five-star quarterback that, want, that could have gone anywhere in the country, and he came to Georgia, and he threw for 400 yards in his first start, and that hadn't happened in seven years, and our offense looks so explosive with him out there, and we think it ought to be JT. So I don't know which camp you're in. Probably one of those four camps. We just want to win. Who cares? We're worried this team isn't good enough with Stetson. We love Stetson all the way. We think JT all the way. One of those four camps that you identify with. And nobody's wrong. You're not wrong for thinking the way you think. There's a reason why you should be in all four of those camps. There's a reason why you should trust Kirby Smart. There's a reason why you should be concerned that Stetson Bennett may not be good enough to beat Alabama. There's a reason why you should support Stetson Bennett for sticking it out at Georgia. He is a good story. And there's a reason why you should, should you know, stand behind JT Daniels because all he's done is win. What did he do to lose the job? He didn't do anything to lose the job. He got hurt in a scrimmage when he wasn't supposed to get hit. Whose fault was that? That wasn't his fault, right? You get an upper body core injury and a strained oblique turns into a strained lat because your muscles are comp. Look, all he did was get hurt. So so who do you blame, right? And, and, and it leads to a lot of discussion. And again, I, I don't think there's a right or a wrong here. I think everybody's got a case. I think that Stetson does bring you mobility. There's no doubt. I can I can look in the stats and see a couple third down scrambles. But he also gets sacked. 
because he doesn't see the field as well. He doesn't get rid of the ball as quickly as JT or make as good a pre-snap read. So you've got arguments, right? Or you could say, well, you put JT out there. Can JT stay healthy? I don't know. I mean, to me, a knee injury at USC can kind of happen to anybody if somebody dives into your knee. You know, I, I don't I don't think that's an injury prone thing. I think that's a man. What a tough break. You know, the lat injury gets hit in a scrimmage and it carries over. It's a, it's a big it's a bit. Your, your core is a big part of your body. I don't think that makes you injury prone. I don't think it makes you not tough. But again, I can see all the arguments. So the argument for Stead is the mobility. The argument for JT is third downs. I mean, JT is 10 of 11 on third down passes this year, you know, um, converting, you know, he's 10 of 11 passing for 133 yards and he's converted 10 first downs. Stetson is 19 of 34, but he's only converted 10 out of 34 times for first downs. That's less than 33%. So you got one guy that's hitting at over a 90% clip on converting third down passes for first downs in SEC play and another guy that's at less than 30%. And that's where that's where there's the concern. Because when you play Alabama, they rank third in the nation in run defense. And I'm not saying James Cook isn't going to go for 100 or 100 yards, but he's probably not. And you're probably not going to be able to run the ball in Alabama like you did on Tennessee, which is a defense that ranks 95th in the nation, okay? Alabama ain't that. So there's reasons for all these concerns and all this discussion. And as I've told people, you know, you have a right to question. Now, I wouldn't complain. I would draw the line at complaining because Kirby's got you 10 and 0. So you can't really complain at Kirby Smart, but you can question. And the reason you can question is because Kirby has told us for almost a year that this is JT Daniels' team. The whole offseason, the G-Day game, JT Daniels uh, is in the G-Day game. All they work on, JT throws 41 passes. Stetson throws four. Carson Beck throws 31. It was pretty clear that coming out of spring, it's JT, Carson, and Stet. And Kirby told you that. He told us that last night, Saturday night. Hey, Stet was the three coming out of spring. Stet was the three going into fall. Stet was the three coming out of fall camp. So here's my question. What changed? Right? What, what changed? Were they that wrong about the team in the spring that they thought JT was the best guy and now all of a sudden he's not? What changed? Well, what I think changed is that Kirby doesn't want to touch the dial. Hey, we're winning, man. Let's not change anything. Well, that doesn't really go along with the Kirby smart that says, if it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. But look, there's a lot of pressure on Kirby to win a national championship, you know, and I think he manages the offense different than he manages the defense. I think that the phrase that's getting thrown out there, it's not mean, it's just defensive coordinator in charge. He's coaching like a defensive coordinator, not like a head coach. The defense is treated differently than the offense. And and people have won championships that way. But there are differences. For example, in the fourth quarter, Kirby Smart is going to run clock and not throw the football. He's not going to turn the offense loose to do all they can do. He will turn the defense loose, though. He will leave the starters in until there's two or three minutes left to preserve the shutout or to keep Tennessee out of the end zone. He'll be aggressive on defense in the fourth quarter. He won't be aggressive on offense. Now, that's a strategy. You can just say, hey, that's just smart football, Mike. Well, okay, but some teams are going to keep throwing it. Steve Spurrier was a pretty smart coach, and and he would put them points up. That scoreboard didn't stop lighting up. But this is Kirby, and his comfort zone is to play defense and not be aggressive offensively in the fourth quarter. He'd rather put you away by running the clock than turning the offense loose and throwing passes. Okay, so that's a difference. And again, not not right or wrong, but there's a difference there. Another difference that I notice. On offense, seniority matters. Okay, Zamir White. Elijah Holyfield was starting to head to DeAndre Swift. Seniority counts on defense. 
or excuse me, on offense. On defense, Keely Ringo's playing ahead of Amir Speed. The, the younger, talented guy, he'll shoot you to the top on defense. On offense, you're, you're going to see a little bit more seniority. So those are just those are some minor things, not huge things, not flagrant things, not saying they're bad things, just observations, observations. And we can ask and we can talk about it. And Kirby knows it because Kirby bleeds red and black. He knows he's got fans that care, that are passionate, that are going to ask questions. But you know what? He's the head coach and he gets to give you the answer and you got to take it. Because he's in charge, man. So we can question it, but I don't think you can complain about it. Because you've got the best team in the country, head and shoulders better than anybody else. This year, there's nobody close. There's just, it's almost like George by default. Every time you start to think there might be, well, maybe Alabama, then they play LSU a six-point game at home, and you're going, these guys aren't that good. You see Florida almost beat. But then again, you see Georgia is 3-0 to zero with two minutes left in the first half. Right, or two and a half. That did Georgia wasn't exactly blowing Florida out until the defense. Right, so it's it's fun and it's interesting, and we've basically got two weeks to kind of try to figure this out because you're not playing anybody, and that's point number two. I understand playing a cupcake game, but is Charleston Southern too much of a cupcake? Kirby brought that up today. He knows that fans don't really want this game, but he also knows that. Schools like this need this, right, to help support athletics. And he thinks that FCS football needs to exist because a lot of these parents are going to have kids that are going to play football. And Kirby's kind of a football purist. So he likes doing this game. My idea, here's my idea. And, and, and again, this is where I know a lot of people get mad. But th this Georgia Tech home and home thing, I, I think it's just one of two things need to happen, in my opinion. Either move this game to the beginning of the year Call up Clemson, say Clemson, or call up South Carolina. Call up South Carolina and say, hey, Carolina, here's what we're going to do. You move your Clemson game to the start of the season. We're going to move our Tech game to the start of the season. And South Carolina and Georgia are going to play in the last game of the year. Or do it with Florida. You know, maybe the league office. You know, Florida, play Florida. I don't like playing rivalry games the last week of the year before the SEC championship game. I, I don't think it's good. Because the rivalry team – South Georgia Tech will have one mission in life, a kamikaze pilot mission. Georgia Tech season stinks this year. They're not going anywhere. There's one thing they can do, and that's hurt Georgia. Beat Georgia, hurt Georgia, go all out, make a highlight, like that Georgia Tech guy that hit DeAndre Swift going 100 miles an hour, and, and it hurt DeAndre Swift last game of the season. Then you go to the LSU and Swift can't run the ball. Because of your rivalry game. I mean, what in the world? What in the world are you doing here? You know, I'm not saying an SEC game would be easy, but I don't like the rivalry out of conference game late. I don't like it. It doesn't belong there. I like seeing Alabama-Auburn play their game, right? I'd like to see Georgia play South Carolina or Georgia play Florida the last week of the season. Probably Georgia-South uh, Carolina because of the tradition. We know how traditions are. And then my other idea, if you're not going to move Tech to the beginning of the season, then only play them once every four years. You know, LSU used to play Tulane every year, and they stopped. Because why? Tulane wasn't any good. It just – it was – what was the point of it? What's the point of Georgia playing at Georgia Tech? I, I don't get it. I, I mean, do the game once every four years. And, and Kirby cares about all the schools. Well, play a rotation. One year it's Tech coming to Sanford Stadium. One year, it's Georgia State coming to Sanford Stadium. One year, it's Georgia Southern coming to Sanford Stadium. And another year, it's Savannah State. And you rotate, and all the in-state schools get a nice check from Georgia to come to Sanford Stadium. And you get one you, you, you get one more home game every other year, right? Because now you're starting to play all these other non-conference home-and-homes. And I just don't know how you do that and keep Georgia Tech. So... To me, that's that's what you do with that game. But but getting back to how does it fit into the championship season, my concern is that you're playing two teams that aren't very good. And then all of a sudden you're going to get Alabama. Now, what Alabama's got to do, to be clear, Alabama's got to win one of their last two games. If Alabama wins at home against Arkansas on Saturday, they've clinched the West. 
If they lose to Arkansas, then they've just got to beat Auburn at home or excuse me, on the road to clinch the West. And Auburn, Bo Nix, and if you saw this, he's having ankle surgery. I also read that the Auburn kicker is out. So Auburn, not saying that they can't beat Alabama in an upset, but it's not looking real good with Bo Nix and your kicker out. So the concern for me, though, is that Georgia plays a couple of teams that aren't that good, and then all of a sudden you're playing an Alabama team that's playing at a different pace, that is burning you on the corners. We saw that happen. Tennessee, by splitting those receivers out that wide outside the hashes, forced you into man-to-man coverage. And we saw that Keely Ringo and, and Darren Kendrick got beat. Darren Kendrick got beat twice for passes of over 50 yards. Keely had guys get behind him, had a pass interference in the end zone. Kirby Smart talked about that. Alabama's got the film. They're going to do the same thing. You're not going to get new cornerbacks between now and then. Tennessee drove inside of the Georgia 30-yard line six times Saturday. Six times they were inside the Tennessee 30-yard line. Now, they only scored 17 points, but will Alabama convert at a higher rate than Tennessee on offense? Are they better coached? Is there more continuity? Is there more talent there? Probably. Is there cause for concern? I think there is. I'm not saying I'm picking Alabama to win, but I don't think it's out of the question that it could happen if Alabama can execute. Now, ten, now Georgia is going to tighten some things up and learn a lot about themselves from the Tennessee game, but at the end of the day, they've got the same personnel. You saw they took out Latavius Brainy early on and moved Chris Smith to Brainy's spot and put in Dan Jackson, the walk-on. Well, that's going to be a matchup for somebody, okay, for Alabama. And so, while I think this is the best defense I've seen in a long time, I think you saw that it was vulnerable. Now, they didn't lose the game. They adjusted. It was a masterful job. I don't think there's a better defensive coaching staff anywhere, including the NFL, than what Georgia has with Lanning, Muschamp, and Kirby. Those are all Cracker Jack coaches. They're brilliant. They work together wonderfully. And the Georgia defense is extremely well coached. Adam Anderson's not around, though. Okay. You saw that he was charged last week with rape. And so he's indefinitely suspended. I don't think you can count on having Adam Anderson around for a while, if ever again. Noel Smith was on the field at the end of the game with what looked like an elbow injury. Remember Jordan Davis had an elbow and he was out three or four weeks. Kirby said today uh, when we asked him about injuries that he's dinged up and it shouldn't be an issue. You know, that, that wasn't the most assuring injury report. It's dinged up and it shouldn't be an issue. He said that about Jordan Davis last year. So I don't know what that means. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure when Jordan, uh, when Nolan Smith comes back. Kirby says Devontae Wyatt was fine. He said he had a scare in the game uh, at the time. He said maybe a sprained knee. That's great news. We saw Devontae down a lot. Um, Kirby said that Jamari Salyer wasn't quite able to play, thought he was close and, you know, could be clear this week, but why would you play him? Why would you play him against – I've been calling it College of Charleston the whole time. It's Charleston Southern. Why would you play him against the Charles College of Charleston, right? Uh, look at E.D. Booker. This is interesting. Now they're saying that Jake Fromm should have been benched for Stetson Bennett after the South Carolina game. E.D., did you know that those were the first interceptions Jake threw all year in 2019 in the seventh game of the year uh, and that uh, two of them – one of them was off the hands of Tyler Simmons in overtime? And Rodrigo missed a field goal that would have won it. Uh, Dominic Blaylock was a little ill. He's going to be back soon, Kirby said. Didn't set a timetable. Uh, and then Kirby went over Arian Smith's injury history, which I thought was interesting because on the one hand, Kirby was complimenting Arian because he's worked so hard to keep coming back. But on the other hand, it kind of spelled out just how injury prone this gifted speedster has been. He says he has a fracture in his lower leg, says he doesn't know how long he's going to be out. To me, that doesn't sound good. 
probably sounds season ending, but he kind of goes back and he says, you know, he got here and he had wrist surgery. He had an accident in the summer. I don't know if I remembered the accident. Then he had a meniscus, which is a knee injury. He said he came all the way back to contribute some last year. I think he had two catches. He comes back, has some groin injuries, some tears, and then he runs track in the spring. He was part of a school record time, and I think they took second in the NCAAs in the relay. But he's running, running track. Then he comes back, and he has another groin injury after track season, misses time. Then he has the issue on the shin in the second game of the year, and he misses four or five weeks, and he comes back and catches that 35-yard touchdown pass against Missouri, and now he's gone again. So I think he's got five career catches, and three of them are touchdowns. So when Arian Smith's around, he's pretty good. But I do think there's something to it when we talk about track athletes and training for track and then having the durability to play football. You don't see a lot of athletes that are successful doing both in college. Some are. I think Willie Galt was an example. I think he's in the Georgia Hall of Fame. I think I remember doing a story about him being from Georgia. Um, But you really don't see a lot of guys that run track and play football successfully together. So this is going to be interesting to me. Is Arian Smith done with football? Is Arian Smith done with track? Do we continue to see him try to do both? And if so, is this kind of what you're going to get? Two or three catches a year? That's it. I personally think that Arian Smith probably needs to make a decision. Now, I'm not his dad, and I'm not him, and he can do whatever he wants. But in his own best interest, to be the best at something, I I think in this case, he probably needs to make a decision for for his own benefit because he doesn't want to be unhealthy when he runs track and he doesn't want to be injury prone when he plays football. Now he could make a decision and still get injured, but it seems to me that when you train, you're, you're building up certain muscles, fast switch muscles, ligaments. I just think football shape is different than track shape in my opinion. And we'll see how that pans out. Aaron Smith is a fantastic football player and a wonderful track athlete. Um, but I don't, I don't think he helps himself out trying to do both. The Tennessee offense was running 2.92 plays per minute, which was the fastest in the nation entering this football game. Um, I'm looking at the box score right now. I don't know if we've got any mathematicians out there, but Tennessee ran – Let's take a look. Looks like Tennessee ran uh, 84 plays in 27 minutes and 20 seconds. Does somebody want to figure that out? 84 plays in 27 minutes and 20 seconds. Let's see if we can do this. Did they go faster or slower than usual? All right, 27 times 60 equals 1620 plus what I say, 20 seconds. So they played 1640 seconds divided by a number of plays, which was what? 84 equals one play every 19.52 seconds. So against Georgia, they were actually faster than that. They were running over three plays a minute against Georgia. That, that slightly faster than their average. That, that's pretty, pretty significant, right? Pretty fantastic. Georgia came into the game ranked 116th in the nation in pace of play. Um, They were running 2.06 plays per minute. So let's see if if Georgia speeded up. And I'll bet they did, because remember near the end of the first half, Stetson and the Bulldogs had that impressive uh, 90-yard drive. Stetson hit a Donnie Mitchell a few times. You know, I tell people all the time um, that Kirby can play offense when he wants. He's always got that card to play. I, re- I think about Jake Fromm's great game against Alabama in the 28-18 SEC championship game. Jake was fantastic. He was over 300 yards. He was completing 70% of his passes, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And you go, why don't they do this all year? Because they didn't have to, right? But it was always there with Jake. Anytime Jake went two-minute, 
he was really good. Like JT, could see the field, pretty accurate, one of the lowest interception rates in school history. In fact, may have the lowest interception rate in school history. But that's just not the way Kirby wanted to play offense with Jake. But uh, and I kind of and, and you saw that with this two minute drill at the end of the first half. You're like, oh wow, you know they can go two minute. Yeah, they can. They just choose not to. Um, again, it's a comfort zone thing for a, a coach who's been a defensive coordinator for a long, long, long time. It's going to take Kirby a while to evolve into that place where Saban is at, where he doesn't, you know, hey, whatever it takes. And we thought everybody was convinced that you needed great offense last year. You know, maybe this year you don't. We'll find out. But I want to get back to this pace of play for Georgia and see what theirs was. So they ran their time of possession was 32 minutes and 40 seconds. So 32 times 60 equals 1920 plus 40 equals 1960 divided by how many plays did we say they ran? 70? Let's see. Divided by 70 plays equals 28. So that's 2.8 plays per minute. Does that sound right? Hope I didn't botch that. I did think Georgia moved faster than they typically did. No, that, that can't be right. That can't be right. I did something wrong there. Um, fact of the matter is Tennessee was fast as ever, and they only got 17 points on Georgia, even moving that fast. And they got it early. The touchdown drive early, right? They kind of shocked George after all that prep. I mean, the th I was blown away when I saw the blown coverage. I'm thinking, we just we don't see that at Georgia, do we? We don't see Kirby Smart teams bust on defense. Remember in the Peach Bowl on the first play of the second half when the guy ran right up the middle uh, because the gap got blown? And I thought, when is the last time that happened? And I looked it up, and I think it was like – three years ago. And yeah, Shelton Tucker says he'd be the only walk. I mean, Baker Mayfield was once uh, a walk on. He didn't win the title, but do we really think Stetson Bennett is as good as Baker Mayfield? Maybe you do. Uh, I don't want to disrespect anybody's opinion or hurt anybody's feelings. Some people might think that, and that's great. Um, we asked Kirby about playing defensive starters late in the game. I think the rivals reporter, Anthony Dasher asked the question, and because all the start a lot, not all the starters, but a lot of the starters were in late in that Tennessee game when the game was in hand. So why was Nolan Smith out there to get hurt was basically what the question was. And Kirby said, I don't think any lead is safe when you talk about Tennessee. He said, last I checked, they had 13 plays and 21 points on Kentucky. So you got to be careful. So basically it was that he didn't want to take any chances. And then he talked about the travel roster only having 70, 70 guys there, 30 or 35 of them defensive guys. Um, so that was kind of his reason why was because of a smaller roster. And he was worried that Tennessee might come from 41-10 down in the last four minutes. That's what he said. Now, Kirby, I see some people are making comments about JT. And if you missed the beginning of the show, I want to recap quickly. I want to, I want to, and ask yourself which camp you're in, right? As we look to solve our, our issues with our anxiety or our problems or our weaknesses, we must identify our problems. So you have to ask yourself which camp you're in. Are you in the, we just want to win. We don't care who starts. There's no quarterback controversy because Kirby says there's not. Okay. There's that group. Whatever Kirby says, we don't care. Just win. There's the other camp that says, Mike, who are you trying to kid? We're not good enough with Stetson Bennett. This is going to catch up to us and cost us a national title. There's that camp. There's the Stetson camp that says, this is a Georgia kid, born and raised, don't need no California guy. Stetson Bennett's hung out, and look at the way he runs, and he's a great player, and the team loves him. And then there's the JT camp that says, are you kidding me? This guy is a golden goose that landed in your backyard, threw for 400 yards the first game he played, and all he's done is win. He's 7-0. and He completes third down passes, and the offense handles like a BMW when he's in there. Everything clicks and moves. Why wouldn't it be JT? So I don't know which camp you're in, but you're probably in one of them. So I'm going to go back to what Kirby said today. 
about JT Daniels. And, you know, I see the rumors here. Um, look, I can tell you, JT's 100%. He wants to play. His parents are not an issue. He's not in the doghouse. There's nothing wrong. This is a coach's decision. Kirby is picking Stetson over JT, period. There's nothing else to it. There is no conspiracy. So just to be clear, don't make stuff up because it's not there. This is as simple as that. Kirby's transparent about it. And I asked him after the game, I said, well, you know, because Kirby brought up that Stetson, um, you know, was a former third stringer and what a great story. And, you know, he's played, you know, JT got hurt and Stetson's done tremendous things since JT was injured. And so I brought up, you know, well, why wouldn't you play JT? Because you brought up the South, you know, Kirby brought up the South Carolina game and said, well, you know, JT played great. We put Stetson in, he threw an interception. Well, since then, Stetson's gotten better, he said. So I brought up and said, well, Kirby, against South Carolina, you pulled JT out on the third series and played Stetson, even though the team was winning and everything was fine. So why would the substitution pattern be different now? And Kirby didn't come out and say, because our game plan is to run the ball. But if you looked at his answer, you know, he talked about continuity. Uh, he talked about timing with receivers, which why wouldn't those have been issues earlier this year? But what was different was he said sometimes in the run package, the, the quarterback's got to pull the ball. So he was basically saying he thought Georgia needed the quarterback to run the ball to beat Tennessee, or he thought that was the most effective way for the offense to operate against Tennessee was to have a quarterback capable of pulling the ball. And that was why that was the explanation. So someone asked Jay asked today, I think it was Charles Oldham of the Associated Press asked Kirby about, well, you know, last year JT went to the scout team, you know, is that an option for him this year to get more reps and Kirby said, no, the biggest change is he's been working with the twos. He goes out to practice and takes quality reps. He takes ownership in those. And he watches Stetson's reps and goes over what he saw on defense. A lot of times the plays are the same in terms of what the ones and twos gets. So he anticipates the throws and does what he does in the games. He said it helps the other guy. He says, I don't know if you're aiming at will JT go down to the scout team, that's a way different circumstance right now because he's the guy who is just repping with the twos and getting his reps. He's done a good job handling that and continues to work to get better. He's done a good job when he goes against us defensively, right? There's Kirby talking like a defensive coach. Uh, goes against us. Uh, he gets to work good on good, not the scrot two. So when he gets to work against first-team defense with the twos is what he's saying. So that was the answer is that he's getting the second team reps, which was what Dwan Mathis was getting last year while JT was on the scout team. So there you go. Uh, when he was asked about the quarterback situation this, this week and how would he manage it against College of Charleston, oh, I did it again, Charleston Southern, he said, our goal is to go out there and get the best quarterback ready to play and go out and play with the best guy. If that presents itself, Absolutely. Straight up, I hope everybody gets to play. I really do. I hope everybody gets to play, but I don't control that, Kirby says. Kirby doesn't control that. Excuse me, I'm just the head coach. I don't control who plays. Kirby, you control that, okay? What I do control is how we prepare and go out and play the game. So the hope is we go out and play our best game. Uh, but it would be remiss if you go around thinking you're in the middle of the game in the fourth quarter. So he's basically saying it would be irresponsible for him to think that they're going to just be able to unload the bench in the fourth quarter. He's got to prepare like it's a, a title fight. This is the nature of what Georgia and Kirby do. They, they play every game to their standard, not to the scoreboard. He's going to prepare to beat the best that the College of Charles, Charleston Southern has. He's going to prepare. Do you have, Does anybody know the nickname? For the Charleston Southern team, by the way, does anybody know that? I would not have known that. You know what I do know, though? I know that the supermarket that we can all count on is Ingalls. And we need to take a break right now before I come back and answer your questions. We need to recognize our sponsor, Ingalls, that makes this program possible, that takes care of us, that we can rely on, that's been there for us throughout the entire pandemic. And we need to recognize and appreciate 
what Ingles has done. It's in our hearts to feel for real. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Well, welcome back to the program. You know, I wanted to do one more exercise. One more. I sound like a school teacher here, don't I? There's one more exercise that I want us to go through tonight, class. Uh, you know, it's senior day. And it's going to be the last time that we see a lot of guys suit up in Sanford Stadium. And it's going to be emotional. It really is. Um, Jordan Davis spoke today and, and boy, I love that guy. He is just, you talk to Jordan Davis and you're just, you know, I'm reminded why I like covering college football because he's just such a class act. I don't know if you got to read that story, but it's touching and I think you'd enjoy it. So let's look at the 2018 signing class that Jordan Davis was a part of the seniors. This was a great signing class. Current offensive starters from the 2018 class. James Cook, Warren Erickson, John Fitzpatrick, Kiaris Jackson, Jamari Salyer, Samir White, and Jack Podlesny. Wow, that's a lot of guys. Current defensive starters from the 2018 class. Jordan Davis, Christopher Smith, Channing Tindell, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, and Jake Camarda. Pretty impressive. And then you have two reserves, Owen Condon and Tramal Walthauer. So those are your 2018 starters in reserve. Now you had some transfers, some pretty good players transferred out. Tommy Bush, North Texas. Brenton Cox, Florida. Justin Fields, the Ohio State in the Chicago Bears. Otis Reese, Old Miss, Luke Ford, Illinois, Cade Mays, Tennessee, Devad Wilson, Central Florida. Current NFL players in the 2018 class that finished at Tennessee, excuse me, finished at Georgia and were drafted. Tyson Campbell, Aziz Ajalari, Trey Hill. A player by the name of Nadab Joseph was a junior college player at Independence. When he came out, he ended up at Nebraska. Currently, Adam Anderson is suspended. So those are your 2018 players. Now, there's also some 2017 guys that, uh, that are going to be probably making their last appearance, all right? And those 2017, well, not all of them, not all. I want to be clear on that. 2017 Georgia signees, Stetson Bennett. He has another year of eligibility and is expected to come back. Amir Speed, William Poole, Robert Beal, Latavius Brainy, Justin Schaefer, Julian Rochester. I was thinking this is probably the last game that a lot of these guys may play in. Certainly the last start. For Justin Schaefer. Uh, I was looking at him today. Good, good college football player, but just doesn't have the NFL size right now. Um, but what an athlete and a good story for Justin Schaefer. But this will probably be his last football start. Unless, you know, at least I, I don't think he'll do it in the NFL. I guess he could go to Canada or the Arena League or something. Uh, so I, I started to think well, that's a lot of guys. That is a lot of guys. Now, Warren Erickson, John Fitzpatrick, Kiaris Jackson, Jack Podlesny, those are all fourth-year senior, fourth-year juniors. So I think they're coming back. I do think they're going to come back. But then I started wondering to myself, um, what underclassmen might go pro? Like Nicobe Dean. Are we seeing the last start for Nicobe Dean? Probably in Sanford Stadium. Probably. He's projected, last I saw, he was projected number 10 in the first round by Mel Kuyper. I'm not going to tell Kobe what to do. And maybe I'm wrong. He may want to stick around and get his degree. 
Here's the thing. This is where Georgia's got to get creative. You've got the NIL, man. Could there be an NIL deal that would pay Nicobe Dean enough money to come back for another year? Is there a booster with a business that would pay Nicobe Dean a million dollars to come back for another year at Georgia? Would that be worth it? How much would you pay for Nicobe Dean to come back for another year at Georgia? Nothing is off the table, guys and gals. Kentucky gave a freshman basketball player a Porsche deal. What would it take to pay Nicobe Dean? to come back for another year. This is where we're at with NIL. And the schools that are creative are going to keep players for their senior year. They're going to pay them. What's the value of N'Kobe Dean? I mean, if Bryce Young from Alabama's got a million dollars in endorsement deals, why can't N'Kobe Dean have a million dollar NIL deal? Instead of a booster donating a million dollars to the University of Georgia, why doesn't he start a T-shirt company and pay Nicobe Dean a million dollars? Pay the player. Don't give the money to university. Come up with an NIL deal. It's legal. This is where we're at. That's what I'm thinking. Who's going to be creative? Who's got the booster base with the deepest pockets to make this happen? You, you, you know one, one name I heard? How about Arkansas? What if Walmart decides they're all in on the hogs? Right? Who's the, who's the famous investor out there in Omaha, Nebraska? Gosh, he owns the Clayton Holmes. That's slipping my mind. One of the richest men in the world. What if he decides to bring Nebraska football back and starts paying guys a million dollars to sponsor, you know, whatever, NIL deal? This can happen. It's it's the way I'm describing it is very raw, rudimentary. This can happen. So, Nicobe Dean, barring a million dollar a year uh, NIL and his desire to get his degree. Uh, who else could be playing their last game as an underclassman? Do we think Nolan Smith? I don't think so. I think Nolan Smith just turned the corner the second half of the year. He's been blowing everything up. And I think Nolan Smith is a guy that if he comes back, is going to be an All-American, is going to be a team captain. We're going to see him with a big NIL. We're going to see him on TV a lot. He likes to do interviews. He's a great spokesman. So I think Nolan is coming back. I'm going to say Nolan comes back. Uh, let me take a look who else as I scroll through here to see what potential players. Is Carson Beck coming back? He could be. He could be. We'll see. Um, maybe not, though. Maybe not. He was told he was the two. He's not. We haven't seen him in a minute. Um, doesn't mean he's not coming back. Doesn't mean that he is. Uh, Brock Vandegrift coming back? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, sure looked good to me. And what I saw in the G-Day game, haven't heard any rumors of anything. But we read a lot about Gunnar Stockton. Oh, my goodness. Jeff Santel uh, has written some wonderful things about Gunnar Stockton. He sounds like Baker Mayfield. I saw a reference there earlier. Who else could be leaving early off of this Georgia football team? Uh, or just leaving. Is Darnell Washington going to come back? The talented tight end. He's been targeted once the last two games. I don't know. He was highly recruited. Um, Kendall Milton. Don't have any reason to think he's leaving. Um, Jermaine Burton. Uh, very talented kid from Georgia. Um, not getting a lot of targets, but who knows? Eric Gilbert. I don't know the answer to that one. We've all speculated on that all year long. Who else could be leaving Georgia's? I go down the roster here. Uh, I can't think of any other obvious guys. Lewis Seen, I'm kind of 50-50. Lewis is one of the top five safeties in the NFL draft. You know, this to me is the kind of player that needs to come back, in my opinion. You know, get Lewis an NIL deal, $500,000 a year. You know, make sure he's got an insurance policy. And Lewis strikes me as the kind of guy that goes from a third-round pick to a first round pick because he's special. I mean, think about how much better Richard LeCount was, you know, when he came back. I mean, Lou, Richard was going to be a, I think, first or second round pick. I think he was going to have slam dunk all American year. And I think Lewis would be just dominating play. But again, that's his decision. Uh, JT Daniels, does he come back? I, 
I, I can't read into that situation. I don't know the quarterback room. If Stetson comes back, does JT come back? I don't know. If you're JT, do you come back? If you're Stetson, do you come back? I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. How about Trayvon Walker? That's another one. Could he do like Jordan Davis and come back to be a first-round pick? Or is it time for him to fly and maybe be a second round? He's, I'll tell you, he's a physical marvel, and he's going to blow up at the combine. But Trayvon Walker, Nolan Smith, Lewis Seen, these are the kind of players that Georgia needs to come back to have a tremendous season in 2022. Uh, Darian Kendrick, I think, probably leaves. Um, we'll leave it at that. Um, we don't want to get too far ahead of our skis, so to speak. Just an exercise, just a thought. Uh, Warren Buffett, I see, my producer tells me, was the was the investor in Nebraska uh, with all the money in the world who, you know, if he ever decided to get serious about college football, could help Nebraska get back. NILs are game-changing. Let's take a look here at some of the questions. Can JT run? Yes, he can. He just doesn't need to. When you're completing 10 of 11 passes for third down conversions, it's better when you get the ball in the hands of Kenny McIntosh, James Cook, uh, Jermaine Burton, uh, Adani Mitchell, Darnell Washington. Those are the guys that you want to see with the ball in their hands. Not the quarterback. Not the quarterback. Those guys. That's the difference between someone that can distribute the ball. It is exciting when Stetson runs. It kind of reminds me of when the squirrel's out in traffic and you just don't know which way he's going to go. You know, he's so little and he squirts through there and he runs and it's exciting. and He's a tough guy. And uh, and uh, it's fun to watch him scramble. He's like a mini Brett Favre, right? Um, interesting to watch him. Uh, someone says he runs like a billy goat. I, I don't think you know that. I don't think you've seen JT run in a while. Um, JT looked pretty good in terms of his pocket presence last year, but no, he didn't run it um, when he had receivers to throw to. Again, a guy that completes a lot of third down passes. What do I think about the Georgia defense against the Bama offense? Ryan Mooney wants to know. Well, I think that the Alabama offense is better than the Tennessee offense across the board. I think the quarterback's better, although not as durable. I think the receivers are, are are a level up, okay? Although Tennessee's were good. They had one guy with 10 catches for 200 yards. The key is they're going to isolate Georgia one-on-one, -on -one, and they're going to win those outside matchups. The question is, does Georgia's pressure get to Bryce Young like they did Hendon Hooker? How much better is Alabama's offensive line than Tennessee's? That's what this comes down to, and I don't know the answer to that question. I would say they're better, though. Flip it around, the bigger question to me is, if Georgia can't run the football, what happens? That, that to me, is, is the game, question of the game. Uh, would it be 10-3 to 3 like Clemson, William Perry wants to know? No, I don't think so. Uh, a lot went into that Clemson uh, game plan. Clemson, frankly, wasn't going to let anybody get behind him. And if you remember, Georgia's receiving core was non-existent. Lots of young guys that had never been in the moment couldn't make the sort of adjustments at the line of scrimmage like you could with a veteran receiving core. And quite frankly, Georgia wasn't prepared for what Clemson threw at them. That's just a fact. Um, and Clemson played really well that night. Their defense played really well. Uh, offensively, they didn't do much. Um, and again, Georgia wasn't going to do any more on offense than they needed to do. That was just how uh, that went. Um, what other questions do we have here? Uh, someone said JT probably hurt in the Clemson game too. I don't know that. I, I really don't know that. Um, someone talking about JT throwing as many interceptions as Stetson this year. Um, is that true? I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. JT uh, had a pick against Clemson and a pick against South Carolina. So I think he has two. And then he had the tip ball three against uh, Missouri. Uh, Stetson had two interceptions against Florida, a pick against South Carolina, and a pick against Vanderbilt. So at least four that come to mind. So I don't think that's true. Um, that's not true. But Stetson's thrown a lot more passes. So 
you know, they're two different quarterbacks. They really are. Um, one quarterback runs a lot of RPOs and has to have the benefit of the run and runs a lot of play action shot plays, right? Whereas JT goes to the line, more of a pass first offense, higher volume of throws. You know, the last game was the first time all year that Georgia had thrown more than 20 passes in a game that Stetson started. So the game plans vary a little bit. We've seen JT throw a lot of passes. And then I think we saw last year, which game was it? Maybe South Carolina where he only threw 17. So it's interesting um, to see, you know, how different the offense can be. Like I said, there, you know, here, here we see uh, W talking about a, a carpet bagger, a player from outside the state. And, you know, part of this to me is interesting because part of Georgia becoming one of the best recruiting teams in the country is getting players from other areas of the nation that fit the team needs and not being that regional team they'd always been. By having great facilities and having great coaches that can develop talent, that enables Georgia to go to California and get a player like Brock Bowers, like Kendall Milton, like JT Daniels. I, I, those are all very talented players. You're not going to go out there and get a 50-50 a guy, right? You're going to take more chances with the kids in your backyard. But it almost seems like there's some regionalism here from Georgia fans that Georgia high school coaches that don't want the players from outside the state coming to Georgia. And it's, it's to me, this is part of the evolution of the University of Georgia. I mean, the grade point average to get in has changed drastically. This is now becoming one of the best universities in the world, not just in the country among public universities. So, and I see the football team growing like Alabama did when Alabama, when I covered Alabama in the 1990s, they were a regional team and it seemed like 75% of the guys were from Alabama or one of the border States under coach Stallings. I left there to cover Tennessee and Tennessee had guys from all over the country. Why? Because Tennessee had facilities and they had great exposure when Peyton Manning was there. So Tennessee was able to recruit nationally and that talent really helped Tennessee out. They really won a lot of games on talent. And now Georgia has grown into that national recruiting base. They've had to earn it. They've had to work for it. But there's some people that, like they say, they call JT a carpetbagger, uh, California, whatever. And you see that regionalism. And I wonder, I wonder, does that dissuade? For example, I saw that there's a, a cornerback from modern day. I think he's the number one cornerback in the country. I talked to his dad when I was out in California. And I know that he had interest in Georgia. There was also an offensive lineman that played at the rival school in Cloverdale, St. John Bosco, uh, Ernest Green. And I sat down with him and he had interest in Georgia. I wonder if they feel like if Georgia people, you know, carpetbagger, regionalist, I wonder if there's a, a backlash at all. If, you know, the JT situation, you know, recruiting is so fluid. It's just you You wonder what dynamics play into it. So I always tell people, be careful what you put on message boards. Be careful what you put out there because there's other coaching staffs that take screenshots of things. They used to cut out articles. There's a lot of that sort of recruiting going on. I know this because I've talked to coaches that have recruited and they've told me how they recruit against different schools. OK, so they use those comments they see. And when they go to the recruit, they they show the parent, look, do you really want to go here? And they all do it. Don't kid yourself. They all do it. The head coach doesn't do it. That's beneath Kirby Smart doesn't do it. He's that's way beneath him. Coordinators don't do it. But there's a lot of different levels of people involved. And kids get mail. And what's in the mail? A lot of interesting things. Uh, someone saying Stetson beat Alabama or will it be a tip show like last season? I think Stetson's improved a lot since last year. I don't see as many as those tip passes. And I also don't see him being asked to run the same kind of offense. I think Todd Munkin has done a tremendous job with the play calling and designing an offense that really emphasizes the strengths of Stetson Bennett. I think you see a lot of guys running open, you know, and Stetson finds them sometimes. And I think he's not being asked to make a lot of the same sort of throws that got him in trouble last year. And again, I give Todd Munkin all the credit because I think he's brilliant. 
Speaking of money, uh, that's a guy that I think needs to get paid. I think if I'm Georgia, uh, I'm going to Todd Munkin and I'm saying, how much do you need to stay? How about $3 million? I think he should be – What? listen, Georgia's trying to stay on top of the college football world. You are going to have to pay these coaches. Kirby Smart, it's $7 million right now, is a bargain. Kirby, if, if Jimbo Fisher is making $9 million, Kirby needs to be a $10 million coach. $10 million. Pay Kirby $10 million. Pay Munkin $3 million. This is how it works. You got to pay to play. It doesn't matter what you pay Lanning. Somebody's going to hire this guy as a head coach. He's unbelievable. Dan Lanning is going to be an incredible head coach, and he's going to get hired away. And who's he going to take with him? I don't know. Does Schumann get promoted to D.C.? I, I'm guessing. Maybe. What about Muschamp? Does Muschamp get D.C.? Does he even want D.C.? I'll bet you Will doesn't even want D.C. I think Schumann gets D.C. if Lanning gets a head coaching job. That's what I think. And I hope Munkin stays for Georgia's sake because he's incredible. He's just incredible. He's a great football coach. Doesn't matter who's a quarterback, Todd Munkin makes it go. And, and, and again, pay the head man. Pay Kirby $10 million. And if Kirby wants the Georgia game in Athens every other year, give him the Georgia game in Athens. Pay the man and honor what he wants to win football games. Again, you can question things. But you can't complain about Kirby Smart right now. You can't do it because he's winning games and he's coming through for you. He's delivered. So there you go. Those are my thoughts tonight. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. I told Michael Carvel this wouldn't be a long show. It turned into a long show. I always end up – you guys always get me going. Um, it's going to be a fun week. I'm telling myself that. Let's be honest. They're playing Charleston Southern. This is a blowout game. I don't even – What's the mystery? Like, who does Kirby decide to play? How does he break it down? Do we really get any read on it at all? It's kind of a bye week. I mean, it's what other games should we watch, right? This in Georgia Tech, too, by the way. I'm just you know, by the second quarter of Georgia Tech. I mean, you know, where's where's the food tray? You know, <laughs> we, we got to wait till December 4th. Did we see a real football game again? Now, Kirby would be like, no, these are all games. Every quarter, every play, every minute, play to a standard. But for us, we're going to be like, huh? Charleston College of what? Right? But uh, seriously, though, have fun with it. Read between the lines. Kirby's going to do another press conference tomorrow night, and we'll have video up of that. And Connor and coverage will be on. Connor will have some thoughts and opinions. Uh, Wednesday night at Centel's Intel, and Jeff always has – interesting lists and recruiting news and fun stories to tell uh thursday night we typically do cover four and uh and then saturday right and don't forget every day it's dog nation daily with brandon adams and uh brandon had some interesting commentary today about uh, uh carson palmer no jared palmer jordan palmer uh jt's quarterback coach coming in that's not a big deal okay that's normal uh, JT's fine. Um, he talks with Palmer every week. Palmer is one of the best quarterback coaches in the NFL, and that's one of the luxuries JT has. He's been one of Palmer's prized pupils. So uh, there wasn't much ado about that other than, yeah, that's what quarterback coaches do, right? Terrence Edwards probably talks every now and then to his receivers that he coached up. Um, and that's and that's those are resources for players. And, and Kirby's all about resources. So uh, that's good news. But anyway, enjoy the week. Uh, if you want to hit me up, follow me on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32 uh, at Mike Griffith 32. I need an army because there's a lot of people that, man, I do that Paul Feinbaum show. Uh, I'll be on this Thursday, by the way, um, unless he's at an event like SEC Nation was in Knoxville. So I was on stage Friday with him. I don't think they're going to be at this game. So that'll be a Thursday appearance. Uh, maybe uh, Friday, uh, depending on what my assignment is, maybe I'll be on stage Friday, but that's a Thursday SEC Network deal. But if you follow me on Twitter, um, I'll put on when I'm going to be on there. If you want to see me on Feinbaum, that's kind of fun. I never know what Paul's going to ask. Uh, I talk a lot about Georgia. Sometimes I have to tell Paul 
Um, Paul, can we talk about the number one team? Uh, but it's a lot of fun. But to everyone, enjoy the week. Thank you, Michael Carvel, for your production. And uh, what's the over-under this week? Uh, 70 to zero for Georgia, something like that, maybe? I don't know. We'll check it out. Have a good one, everybody.